Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. For those of you that are new to our show, I just want to give you a little background about us. Basically, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia and how we can care we're able to remove stigmas attached to memory loss and caregiving as a whole. So <clears throat> I'm so grateful that each of you are able to join us today. We also know here at Alzheimer's Speaks that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle. And we know it's working because of all your likes and clicks and shares. And we encourage you to continue to pass our information on to your spheres. So your Twitter tribes, your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, etc., there's a lot of people out there that you know that aren't talking about this yet, and we need to get information in front of them so that they feel more comfortable and confident in terms of having a conversation and reaching out and getting the support they need. So again, I want to thank you all for lifting us and um, making us the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. It just means the world to us. And um, all the work we do here really is in honor of all of those diagnosed and working with those uh, living with dementia. Uh, before I get started I, um, with our show today, um, I do want to just do a couple of shout-outs to a couple of my colleagues here at Alive and Social. The first is with uh, Scott and Drew Applebaum, their father and son team, who has a uh, a sports cast called Apples to Apples, and they do a lot of bantering back and forth, and you find out if father always knows best or if son's going to put him in his place <laughs> on some of his thoughts regarding sports. Um, another show is Joan of Art, and it's a, a podcast uh, here on Alive and Social Network that investigates and ce celebrates people who make art. And it's just a really fun discussion, and um, Joan talks with artists, um, you know, from every corner of the universe. And so check out Joan of Art and Apples to Apples here on Alive and Social. Um, I do want to um, <clears throat> point out a couple of things, um, just for some, some freebies, which is always nice. Um, one is if you go to gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive, that's gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive, you can get a 30-day download of fresh books, which you know is another um, tool to kind of help you with your businesses or just family life, if it's uh, invoices or just figuring out where you are with your day-to-day -day expenses. Great, great tool. Um, you can also check out um, audibletrial.com forward slash social, audibletrial.com 
com forward slash social. I can't say social. Um, and there you can get a free 30-day trial um, to uh, to read a book. And they've got over 180,000 different books that, that you can check into. So, um, you know, it's always nice to get something, something for nothing and to be able to try it out before you buy it. Let me introduce our guest today. <clears throat> really excited to have Nancy Crisman on with us, who is a licensed clinical social worker. And she also has her master's in um, social work, specializing in aging. She's worked with older people and their families for over 30 years. And she has a private uh, practice down in the Atlanta area, in addition to presenting workshops on caregiving and dementia across the country. She's written two books. Um, one is called The Mindful Caregiver, Finding Ease in the Caregiving Journey, which Lord knows we all need. And the other is called The Caring Spirit Approach to Elder Care, a training guide for professionals, um, which was put out in 2005. So welcome. Welcome, Nancy. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. You were referred from a, a mutual friend here, and that's always fun um, to learn new connections. And, and on Alzheimer's Speaks, it's about lifting everyone's voice and, and trying to push um, push information out so people can find the resources they need when they need them. Let's talk a little bit about caregiver books out there. And why do you think your your books are different from the average bear out there? Well, the the most recent book that I wrote um, in particular is um, The Mindful Caregiver. It was a book that I recognized I needed to write because for over 30 years and working with caregivers or care partners, as we now call people, you know, because it's not only just the family that are helping support people with dementia, but it's also friends and work colleagues and neighbors and church members, et cetera. So I, I noticed that a lot of the caregiver books that were available to people, and I did a study on looking at as many of them as I could, while they, they have wonderful information and helpful information in terms of how you care for somebody that has dementia, I felt like there wasn't enough emphasis on the care giver or the care partner, and, and particularly around taking care of themselves, self-care. And, and when I did look at some of these books, it would say things like, well, you need to take care of yourself so you can be a better caregiver to your loved one. And my thinking was, no, you need to take care of yourself because it's important for you because caregiving can be depleting. And one of the things that I noticed in my private practice was that many of the caregivers or care partners were so focused on the care recipient, their loved one, or the person they were caring for, that they totally dismissed themselves. So this book really focuses on self-care for the caregiver. Well, and I think that that's something so many people need. And I know for myself with my mom's own journey, I didn't even know how depleted I was. Until exactly. until I got filled back up on accident, <laughs> you know, one time. And my listeners have heard this story a zillion times, but we always get new listeners, so I'll share it with you quickly. But I had girlfriends that didn't give up on me, and they would get together for coffee every week. 
And every week mm. they would they would invite me to come. And I was just too busy. I was caring for my dad with uh, brain um, cancer and my mom with dementia. I was working full time. I had my own family. I had additional people living in my house, you know, volunteered. I mean, you know, we just keep taking more stuff on and we're not finding balance. And I, I think I think that's kind of the norm out there. And so one day, well, one day I said that I would go to coffee with them. And I was really kind of snotty. I said, I'd give them 10 minutes of my time. Like I was this big gift, you know, and, um, I ended up staying two hours and we laughed and we cried and I, I got filled back up and I, it wasn't until that moment in time, did I know that I was even empty and, and I made a commitment to go every week then, then on, because I, I could, um, be a better care partner when, when, when we're filled and we don't even realize it, we're not looking for it. We're so busy looking at everything else going on and stuff. So I think your book is, is critical, um, for people, um, to, to look at how, how do you take care of yourself? How do you be mindful of that? So, um, and I, and and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Lori, the, the other thing that, that the book focuses on, which is something that, um, you know, you kind of mentioned in your situation with, you know, you just keep on going and going like the ever-ready battery. Um, and um, what what I try to, to do with this book is to talk about mindfulness, and which is, you know, something I'll, I'll share later on more specifically, but it's the idea of getting you to slow down so that you can pay attention differently to yourself and create more self-awareness because, you know, so often caregivers are just continually on the go. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. And I, I love that you're using the word care partners. I still use <coughs> caregiver in terms of, you know, when I go out and speak and things, because that's what most people call it. But I, I think it's really important to introduce that new phrase and the importance of it um, and and how it changes how we view that role just by using those words. Yep, exactly. And, and, and you're, you're so right. In fact, I have a section, um, one of the chapters speaks to how do you become a partner in care? Mm-hmm. You know, so especially if your family member, your loved one or a friend, whomever, ends up, say, in an, in an assisted living community or, or some sort of nursing home, you know, how do you partner with the staff, which is kind of what my first book, The Caring Spirit, was about, you know, working, you know, <laughs> We all need to work with each other on this whole thing. So, yeah, we sure we sure do. Um, can you can you do a little more in depth definition of what exactly is a mindful caregiver or care partner? How would you define sure. that? Sure. And and I want to step back and just say one thing to the audience, which is, um, and I think it does make a difference. I had my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease when she was seventy one. And she lived with it until she was 87. Mm-hmm. And it was mid-career, during my mid-career that she was diagnosed. And, you know, obviously we all travel this path our own special way. But I will say that having my mom have this disease for as long as she did really opens my eyes and my heart to paying attention differently to how I, as her daughter, became a partner in care and tried to develop a circle of support around her. So, 
this book is very much influenced by my um, experience as well with my mother, along with all my clients, and which took me to this place of when mom was diagnosed that, you know, I really need to figure out a way to hold on to the spirit side of myself through this whole process. And, and, and that's what kind of got me thinking about being a mindful caregiver. You know, how do I stay more intentionally focused on my own self-care, you know, um, because I'm the only one that's going to do that for myself. My, my mother certainly isn't. And providing care or support to somebody who has dementia, while in many ways there are some wonderful things that you can get from it, it's all, it also can be, you know, depleting. So a mindful caregiver really pays attention, steps back, and gets quiet with themselves so they can you know, get in touch with themselves a little bit more and pay attention to how their body feels. I think about a client of mine who um, she had heart disease and her husband had um, dementia on top of a Parkinson's and she was going, going, going with him all the time. And I'd say, you got to slow down. And she said, well, I can't, you know, I don't have time to take care of myself. And meantime, she ended up with quadruple bypass surgery Mm. and you know she almost died and it was like her heart was attacking her saying you know you got to slow down you got to take care of yourself so that's really what a mindful caregiver does is they really try to pay attention more to themselves and um, recognize how they've got to keep on filling their spirit you know um, like you said I kind of smiled when you talked about coffee you know filling your coffee cup but it's really filling that part of you that needs that connection with people mm-hmm. to fill you back up. Yep. Very, very much so. And, you know, just for people to be able to accept you where you're at. Um, I think so many times we think that, you know, we have to be pulled together and, you know, not, uh-huh. not show emotions, uh, not really show if we're frustrated or sad, you know, we're, we're supposed to, we're supposed to handle it. And, um, and that's so far from the truth because we put so much additional pressure on ourselves trying to be something we're not in that moment. And if we can allow ourselves to feel those feelings, we can get through them and get back to who we want to (laughs) be. You know, that's kind of my philosophy with that. And I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but, um, that's kind of how I frame things is you have to, you have to process those feelings. You have to feel them you know, to get on to the, the, the next whatever is going to be you know, in life. I, I totally agree with you. And what's fascinating to me and what I've said to caregivers and care partners over and over is that it takes more energy, in a sense, to hold back yep. and to try to ignore than it does to just allow it to, to free flow and to come out. And I think what happens for care partners um, when I'm working with them is that they're, they're almost frightened by their feelings. You know, they feel like if they let them out, they'll never get rid of them. But the point is, the more you hold on to them, the more you're stuck with them. Yep. And um, I always say to people, you know, guilt is a part of this whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. There's going to be times, I mean, when I had to place my mom in the nursing home, it was one of the hardest things. I mean, this was a nursing home I had worked in as a social worker for seven years. And, um, and, it, and it did break my heart that, that she had to, you know, kind of go into a nursing home and, and be there. And, and, and yes, I felt guilty at times, but, but if I allowed myself 
to stay only in the place of guilt, then I'd miss out on so many wonderful things. And, um, and it would keep me very depleted and very sad. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's very true. Um, and, and we, you know, we try to pretend um, we try mm-hmm. to live up to societal standards of, I got it handled. I can do it alone. I'm supposed to do it alone. I think all those expectations are out there. And, um, you know, people look at us like, um, well, you know, you need to do that. You have to do it. You got to do it this way. And there's a, there's a lot of judgment in the process. Um, I'll, I'll share with yeah. you another story. I had a, I had done a DVD with my mom in music and I would meet with her friend um, oh, every between every month and every other month. Um, now, this is a woman who, in 10 years, couldn't go visit my mom in the nursing home, but just wanted an update. And I was all excited about this music video because it just brought my mom so much joy. And she's probably 70s, mid-70s, and we're in a restaurant. I push the DVD across the table, and the woman screams out, Oh my gosh, I thought you were taking good care of your mom. She looks horrible. Lori, I'm so disappointed in you. And I just burst into laughter, which got her even more agitated. And um, I, I said, Kay, I, I didn't know I don't see what you see anymore. You know, mm. I don't see the messed up hair and I don't see the chipped mm-hmm. teeth and I don't see the blob of food on her shirt and the billy goat hair on her chin. I see the joy in her eyes. I see her dimples. I look at that picture um, with a full smile and I hear her giggle. My mom was happy and that's all that matters. You know, getting to that point of really knowing your person and what makes what's important to them. You know, my mom used to, you know, dress really nice and have all the makeup done, but that was no longer important to her as her dementia progressed. And, you know, I learned to respect that um, with her and just let her be the essence of who she was today. And that was a huge, huge lesson for me um, because I didn't even know that I had shifted that much until, and I, and I, you know, would thank Kay um, for pointing that out to me because then I could teach other people, you know, the importance of that. But um, it's, it's letting standards go and really shifting sometimes to what is important to them. Cause I, I could have, you know, forced her to get her hair done and, you know, dress certain ways. And it would have been horrible. It would have depleted me even more as a care partner, it would have frustrated her to no end being forced to do things she didn't understand, even like brushing her teeth. And, you know, it wouldn't have done either of us any good. That's exactly why I, I wrote the Caring Spirit book and then brought some of that piece into my mindful caregiver because what you're saying and what I realized with my own mom and with my clients was that the spirit was what was most important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even when it got to a point, you know, when my mom wasn't able, she just wasn't able to remember who I was. And, and people would say to me, well, you go visit her all the time and she doesn't even know who you are. You know, what's the purpose in doing that? And, you know, I'd say back to them, our spirits connect. You know, my mother knows that I'm a loving, caring spirit and she would look forward to my visits. And, um, and so it is, it's about connecting 
because we all have that and, and it means learning like the one you know so many blessings that I got out of this experience and it sounds like you did too the biggest one was being able to push my myself aside a little bit so that I could be more open to being with my mom in a more playful um, you know just different way um, than I, I used to feel like I always had to be such an adult mm-hmm you know, and well, anyway. don't you think that's even one of the gifts of, yes. of being a care partner is is learning to play again and not Absolutely. taking life so seriously and being more spontaneous and yep. you know having backup plans and and realizing, oh my gosh, if we take this path, I, I'm going to have a whole different experience than doing what we've always done. Absolutely, and, and there's great you beauty. Know, my mother taught me things like, you know, how to, like I said, how to be silly, how to, how to dance. I used to be so self-conscious and, you know, one of the things, you know, when sometimes when people with dementia have some behavioral expressions that, you know, they don't realize what they're saying because of the neurological things that are happening, you know, just learning to go with it and not be embarrassed by it or, you know, our society just has this way we're supposed to be all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Now, um, one of the things in your, in your book, the mindful caregiver, again, finding ease. I love that finding ease in the journey of, um, or the caregiving journey. I just think that that's just such a great tagline because I think everybody's hanging on by a rope. Um, do Mm -hmm. you have a favorite chapter at all in your book? Mm. Well, you know, so I think that the chapter that I probably like, you know, that I'm most attached to in a sense is the um, creative self-care chapter, which is uh, chapter four, because in that chapter, I really try to pull together um, the various ways that people um, that are care partners can take better care of themselves and, um, and what I found is I did a lot of research, you know, to look at this. And I started out with the, the, the really, I started out by saying to caregivers, you know, it's important when you wake up every morning to say the serenity prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a religious prayer, but it's such an important prayer, I think. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And that opens you up as a, as a caregiver to or a care partner to being able to look at, you know, there's got to be some other ways um, that I can, you know, connect to myself to take better care of myself. And, um, and so in the, in this chapter, I talk a little bit about learning to be self-full and which is a, a term I, I made up, but it means that so often caregivers tend to be or care partners selfish, mm-hmm. I mean, selfless, excuse me, selfless, you know, they're, they're doing everything for everybody else, particularly for the care recipient and not themselves. Um, and then there are people in this world that are very selfish. And what I try to get to, because caregivers don't want to be seen as selfish, you know, if I put myself before my care recipient, then what's wrong with, you know, I'm not being very, um, I'm not being thoughtful to my, my care um, recipient. And so when you get to self-full, it's taking, you know, taking a step back and saying, okay, what is realistic? You know, what can I really do to support 
my loved one? Um, and what do I need to do to take care of myself too without um, becoming selfish? And so I talk about the self-fullness, and I found that when, when I give examples um, about this to um, care partners, they, they really say, wow, you know, I never thought it would be okay for me to be self-full. Uh, so, so I speak to that. I, I, I give some examples of um, the importance of breathing. Uh, I learned very quickly on that taking deep breaths and um, the importance of how that can reduce a little bit of your stress and give you a little bit more ease. Um, and I have a, a breathing meditation in this section of the book. I, I also have just information about meditation. And, you know, it's interesting because I've been doing a lot of mindful caregiver workshops, and I take care partners through doing a meditation. And people think you've got to sit yoga style and, you know, you, you've got to be able to do this for 20 minutes and, you know, how am I going to sit still? I've got too much I've got to do. And when I can get people to realize that sometimes meditation can just, it's a practice. You can do it for five minutes. It's the idea of slowing down, getting connected to your heart, taking some um, deep breaths. It can really bring you a sense of calm. And, and when people see that, they recognize how helpful that can be. And, and so I try to dispel some of the myths about meditation in a sense. Um, and then I've got a loving kindness meditation in this. And then the other piece is what really blows me away is how often people don't use prayer. That, you know, we, we have um, our spiritual spirituality and our, and our religiosity and all that um, has so much to offer us. And what happens to with a lot of care partners is they put it aside because they say they don't have time to stay connected to um, their faith. And, um, I mean, you, you will hear people say, if I didn't have my faith, I wouldn't be able to make it. But I have to tell you, there's just as many care partners that say, I don't have time for it, you know, or I don't know what to do because I can't take my, um, my loved one to services or whatever. So I have a whole section in here that just speaks to that. And then... Another really important piece that I had fun looking at was the whole business of, of humor and laughter. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure I, I can guarantee, Lori, that you found a lot of that with your mom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and, you know, it's kind of funny because we, we take the role of caregiver or care partner so seriously that we forget one of the most precious things we have in a relationship is laughter, and, yeah. and being silly and just um, mm -hmm. being able to blow stuff off and not be judged and just go, well, wasn't that goofy, you know? And um, anybody who is ill will tell you they just want things back to normal. And laughter is one of the most normal things we can do, yet we're scared to do it or we don't take time to do it. And it's one of those things that can fill the cup on both sides. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I used to bring the Golden Girls um, little DVDs to show my mom, and we'd sit there, and I love Lucy, and we would just crack up. And, you know, when you think about what laughter does for the spirit, um, it, it lowers your blood pressure. I mean, it does a lot of things that it helps to re um, reduce the tension in your body. It relaxes your muscles. It brings um, oxygen to your, your brain. I mean, these are 
like important things, yep. you know. And and there's and it's free. That's the thing that's even more amazing. Yeah, and you can access it any time. When you were talking about um, meditations, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> one of the things I used to do um, when I was caring for my my mom and dad was. I would actually, um, and I sold real estate, I would shut my office door, I'd mm-hmm. light a candle, and I'd put on some meditation music. And for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, didn't make any difference which it was, I would just relax yep. and just breathe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'd fall asleep and take a little catnap. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't make any difference, but I just quieted my mind instead of it running like a flipping hamster in there with all the stuff that I had to do. Um, I just quieted myself and it, it, it just, it energizes you almost to the point that it's shocking, you know, Mm -hmm. when you, when you sit down and go, wow, you know, I I got a lot more in me than I thought I had, um, just by taking those few moments and leveraging your energy and, and putting things into perspective. It's, it's really quite beautiful and so healthy, like you said, on, on so many levels, um, and the other thing was my little ritual, you know, other people in the office started going, well, what's going on? Because I'd put a little sign on my door and say, do not disturb, you know, what's going on in there? And I'd tell them afterwards and they're like, oh, and so a few other people started doing it too, just to take that moment of breath of, you know what, we all need, we all like to interact, but we all need alone time too. And sometimes we don't get enough of that. And um, it's important to pull that balance back in. And um, I don't know if one of your breathing exercises, but one of the things that that I would do, um, and I'm sure you've done it, I don't know if it's in your book or not, um, but I would would breathe in asking my God um, to give me whatever it is I need to get through the day, and then on the exhale to release whatever I don't need. That's exactly right. And that um, was that was huge because it makes you not feel alone um, in whatever it is you're going through. And it was just uh, a very, very powerful, very, very powerful when you when you consciously think of what your mind is doing to override what you need to do or what you think you need to do. And sometimes you don't have to do all that stuff that you think you need to do. And that's and that's exactly my point in this book is I talk to caregivers and care partners about how some of the stuff that we, you know, I talk about the letting go of the ought, the should, the must, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always say to caregivers, thou shalt not should on thyself. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's the whole idea that so much of the stress that's created with caregiving is it's self-imposed. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, based on judgment, it's based on what we think we should be doing, you know, again, the shoulds, the oughts, the musts, and all that. And, um, and again, when people can, you know, can quiet, like you're saying, then they start to recognize, my goodness, you know, this is, this is a little bit unrealistic, you know. Um, I have a, I have another section that I loved. I found, I did a lot of research on looking at various um, self-help books that are out there, not you know, not for caregiving, but just in general. And I came upon this book called Getting to a Positive No. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And I bring it into this book, in my book here, because one of the things that caregivers have such a hard time with is saying no. Yep. You know, 
Um, and it's because when you ask them why they can't say no, they'll say things like, well, you know, I don't want people to think badly of me or I would feel guilty or, you know, I just know I, I have to I have to push through this or I should be able to do all this. And, and I'm like, no, you can actually give yourself permission to say no, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, and one of the things that I found, and I, and I don't know if you found this with yourself or with others, but the 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 more you care, the better you're perceived at doing it. So the more people ask you to do it, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you become that entity of the yeah. fixer, you know, of the care partner, the the caregiver, the the fix-it lady, whatever you want to call it, or the fix-it man. You're the troubleshooter for everybody's woes. And I, I remember waking up one day going, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I have too much to do with my mom and dad, and now I'm taking care of even more people because I'm good yeah. at it, you know. And and then I found people were kind of dumping and running going, well, I don't have to worry about it because Lori will fix it. And it was mm-hmm. like, that was a huge revelation, you know, for me um, to learn to say no. Um, and, and sometimes saying no means maybe you're going to lose some people in your life, too. But when you do that, the door opens to let people in that will align with you and fill you and and stuff. But, you know, there can there can be those moments. And again, you're the only one that can protect you. And, and what it is you need. And, you know, no, we teach people that no is negative, you know, kind of that, that terrible twos, mm-hmm. you know, no, 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 stop, you know, um, stop asking, stop doing all of those things when, when really no can be, like you said, very positive. So getting to the positive of no, I, I like that. I like that concept very, very much. Um, how do you, um, <clears throat> You know, your book's been out for, for a little bit now, and I, you know, the, the uh, chapter that you mentioned is the one that, that hit, hit a chord with me the most as well. Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from people on this? Because you really have some great, great resources and um, different approaches for people to to be able to deal with um, anything from shock and denial to... Um, just the grieving process, you know, what's normal, what's not, um, you know, all of those types of things. Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from people with, with your book? Well, um, you know, I've done, I've been doing for the last two years, caregiver, mindful caregiver workshops. So I get direct feedback from the participants in the workshops, along with a lot of my clients and think, you know, people will email me, et cetera. And what people say that what they love about the book is they feel that they, they appreciate the hands-on information I'm giving them and the tools that they can actually go out and use. And they appreciate some of the, the case examples that I give, you know, because that helps them to identify with situations that are similar to themselves. And what a lot of people tell me is that they appreciate being able to go you know, they'll read a chapter because that's where they are right now. And then they, they can go back later and look at another chapter because that's where they are right now. So, for example, they may have a family member that's currently living at home and they're trying to support the person at home. 
And then as the person's, um, say, their dementia gets more um, challenging in a sense to manage at home, then they go back to my chapter and they look at, you know, how do I vet out a good assisted living community or how do I bring in, you know, a support team into the, to the home. And then the end of life chapter, um, people have really appreciated the information in there because even today in 2016, we still, there's confusion about what is hospice mm-hmm. and, you know, there, it's still equated as a death sentence in a sense. And so the book um, in, the, in the last chapter, when the end is near, how to help people finish well is the whole idea of, of developing a circle of support around the person towards the end of life and recognizing, you know, what palliative care and hospice care can do for, for families and for the um, person, you know, that, that has, a, has dementia. So, um, you know, I, I feel like what people have said over and over is there's just a lot of information in here. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited about what's in here. I think what I tried to do was to compile information um, that was stuff that people could really use. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't want to just have a book that just says, well, you got to take care of yourself and you got to reduce your stress. I mean, you hear that over and over again. Well, what does that really mean? And, mm-hmm. and what does it look like? You know, and then just the whole mindfulness piece, people have said to me, you know, this is something that um, I appreciate you introducing me to because I, always had a certain idea of what it meant. I had one review on Amazon. I got a kind of a kick out of it because they considered this book to be new agey. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, how old is the person that wrote that comment? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but anyway. Well, and, you know, but it, you know, you do take in the whole mind, body, heart and soul, which I mean, we should be doing. And, um, you know, how it's gotten a bad rap just kind of kills me, um, you know, that whole approach. I, I think it's very, very important um, because, you know, one thing affects another. And how many, how many caregivers do you know that end up um, getting sick or sometimes even passing before who they're caring sure. for? Um, because we're, you know, we're not doing it right. Um, you know, we're not finding that balance and our bodies are literally getting sick over it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's a very important aspect, um, for people to understand and appreciate. Cause the one thing typically a, a care partner fears the most is what, what if something happens to me, who's going to take care of them? Yet we don't slow down enough to take care of ourselves to take care of them. You know, we we're yeah. like missing that step. You know, we've we've tripped up a little bit, and and I really think it has to do kind of with societal standards and pressures, of of meeting a mark um, that you know isn't really true and isn't healthy for us. And you know, I I don't remember who said it takes a village, but it takes a village. Yeah. And um, not just for kids, but for all of us. And there, you know, there's uh, there's other cultures that um, embrace that. And and yet here in the U.S., um, not so much. You know, it's we we kind of pass the baton to one person and um, they hold on to it until they're burnt out. 
Um, and then that's really the only way it switches off half the time. And not that there aren't families that are very supportive of one another, but you know, my experience and, and please, uh, speak up if you've seen different, but my experience is most families have one person in charge. They feel pretty depleted and, um, and, and almost used with the rest of, you know, by the rest of the family. Um, but yet sometimes we do things as care partners that pushes them away that we don't even know we're doing because we don't take time to have the conversation. Yeah, I, you know, as a family therapist, because that's part of, of my training, and uh, I am very cognizant of paying attention to that component and, and trying to spread the, the wealth of the family. And so when family, you know, I'll, I'll, usually it's what we call the over-functioner, um, in the family, and that person, you know, is the de- is the designated driver, so to speak, and takes that role on, you know, pretty seriously, and then begins to believe that they're the only one that can do things. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, jokingly, if you're going to overfunction, then people around you are going to underfunction. Yep. And what I really try to do, though, is to get, you know, divide and, and conquer, you know, to kind of give people tasks and things, and. You know, to realize, like in chapter one, I talk a lot about what is the caregiver role and um, and to recognize that not everybody is a caregiver. You know, I I love my brother dearly, but when it came to sort of hands-on care and being more involved as my mother's dementia, you know, became, um, you know, a little bit more difficult to sort of be around at times because she couldn't, you know, she was having more trouble communicating and all that. I mean, it wasn't hard for me, but for a lot of people, it can be including my brother. And it didn't mean he didn't, he didn't love her. Um, and so we really want to, I try to help people recognize, you know, what is realistic for you to take on? You know, let's look at your entire life, what's going on right now. And, and what are you kind of good at? Let's look at your strengths and see, you know, where other people in the family might have other strengths, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then really, as you say, pass the baton, you know, uh, amongst, other people, but let me tell you something that, that I really focus a lot on with the self-care stuff, and that is what I noticed in my private practice over these years is that so many care partners, they would get burned out, and then they would pass the baton, but there were too many of them that got numbed out, mm-hmm. and that's the part that's scary because when people become numb, then they don't recognize how burned out they are. And that's when people get sick. Mm-hmm. And so what mindfulness does is it helps you get in touch with how numbed out you are. Because you, 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 when you can get quiet, you can feel your body. You can feel the tension in your body. You can sense where, you know, things are hurting you or you step back and you say, wow, I haven't been to my own doctor in, in months, you know. Um, so this numbing out to me is very treacherous for Mm -hmm. for care partners and my book it tries to help people not get to that numb out place to be able to recognize that yeah I I think that that's uh, very very true very very true I know it was was for myself and um, the other thing I found was you know after my dad died my brothers and I talked and I thought I was really organized and, you know, I was kind of that lead person. And then they leaned back because they knew I was in charge. 
but they they viewed me as a control freak. I viewed myself as organized. So they knew <laughs> that they were never going to meet my standards. So why bother? And mm-hmm. and that helped me understand why they stepped back. And like I told them, I said, I, "You're not going to use that as your whole excuse, you know." But I'll 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 take some of the burden of that because you could have told me, you know, if you really wanted to be involved, <laughs> you could have stepped up and we could have had a conversation on things. Um, and I don't know how that would have worked back then, but it wasn't even tried, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, um, how the process goes, you know, with, with all of us and, uh, <clears throat> very, I was very interesting. Um, and what are we open to hearing at what periods of time in our life? I, I think also come into play with it all. And, um, you know, and again, our perceptions of one another where I, I, I thought services had to be delivered in a perfect fashion. My brother's not so much, you know, and realized um, that everybody brings something different to the table and every person we're caring for has a right to that diversity of care as long as it's respectable and it's, you know, relationship-based. Um, th- those are really rich, rich things that I think we all want out of life. You know, um, Lori... Sometimes uh, when I get to know my um, clients that come in, like the care partners, and they're coming in for, say, counseling, I will sometimes fire them because what I say to them is that, you know, you are not the only person that loves your husband or your sibling or whomever they're caring for. And I said, what I really want to see happen is, to create a loving circle of support around your family member. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me with my mom, you know, I learned very quickly when she was in the nursing home, she became very attached to the activity director um, in the nursing home because she played the violin and my mother played the piano. And, you know, I'd come visit mom and she'd be all excited to see me. The minute Latanya would get there, forget it. I was like a non-person to my mother, you know, because <laughs> And in the beginning, I'd feel a little jealous, you know, and then I realized, oh, my gosh, this is such a gift for my mother. And and that's what really um, got me thinking about how can I help families and care partners build a circle of of support, a a loving support around their family member, you know, so that they are not taking on everything. Yep. And 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 that's why I, I will say to families sometimes as well. If you can afford to to have somebody go into an assisted living environment, sometimes it's better for the um, person that has dementia because there's so many more people, you know, to share in the care. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, give them a different kind of experience. I mean, my mom had made so many friends in a sense. I mean, it it just blew me away. It was wonderful for her. I mean, she was going to marry two people in the nursing home, and I thought, isn't that awesome? You know, she's 85 years old. She's going to marry a woman, and she's going to marry a man. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> you and, know? Yep. And my mom, too, I, you know, I, I used to be in real estate, and I used to help families make the decision and do placement. But then when it came to my own mom, oh, not so much. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know better. <laughs> and it was pretty hilarious 
when I went to, you know, and, and thought about the process that here I am giving people advice and then I'm not following it. But then my mom chose to move into the nursing home because of my dad. And, um, and I was shocked, you know, cause she, she loved being with us. We were always really close and stuff, but the one element in all of our conversations, um, with the whole family was we truly, we forgot about the, the kind of the love bug and the point of where does she want to be? You know, we talked mm-hmm. to the financial planners and the attorneys, um, but we really didn't have that discussion of what will what will make her happy. And when my dad ended up there first, which we had not a clue that was going to happen, um, she just said, you know, we've been together 49 and a half years and I'm not leaving him now. And that just made my heart melt. You know, it's like, well, of course she's not going to go. Um, of course that's where she needs to be. And, you know, then we made that happen. Um, but it was... Um, <clears throat> It was her that that made that decision, and it was it was pretty brilliant, um, you know, in terms of it all. Um, yeah, I, it's the 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 caregiving, care partnering. Um, it, it's just such an incredible journey, and there's so much to learn from it, and and life lessons that will go far beyond the time you care if you choose, you know, to look for those, and if you choose to grow in the experience. Otherwise it'll bog you down and burn you out and, and things. But, um, I think one of the, the biggest lessons I learned to ask was what's the lesson? Cause every time I was frustrated, there was a lesson in there. But I think, again, you have to get back to that quiet time, that meditation, that just stopping the chatter. So you can even hear, you know, um, you can hear a different response, you know, you can hear creative thoughts, you can hear your God, whatever, however you want to phrase it, it's there, but we just have to shut up and listen, and, um, and take the time to do that. Um, And, you know, I think, um, I think about the book Tuesdays with Maury, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and how, you know, as his disease with um, uh, ALS kept on getting worse and worse for him, you know, he would say, he would get to a place and say, well, if I lose this capacity, I'm not going to, you know, live anymore or whatever. And then he kept on realizing that he could still teach and that people could learn from him in a sense. And I think a lot about that, that, you know, there was so much that I learned from my mother mm-hmm. in her dementia. And, you know, each time, you know, she, she sort of lost another aspect of her cognitive abilities she, I gained some things, and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we always think about the losses as losses, but I, I saw the gain, you know, I chose to see the gain and chose to see the strengths. And the one thing I, I want to leave people with, um, with this whole, um, you know, thinking about being with people and supporting people that have dementia is that we owe it to them to help them live their life as fully as possible throughout their entire illness. And, and to, you know, I hate to use the word treat, but to interact, to be with people in a natural way and not the demeaning way and give them the opportunities to be who they always were. Mm -hmm. And I, I leave with a story that to me is so poignant and it had to do with my own mom where um, 
my parents got divorced and um, when I was in my early 20s, and they were really not happy campers before they should have gotten divorced earlier. But anyway, um, in midway um, into mom's um, dementia, you know, she was losing a lot of cognition. But let me tell you what she held on to. So my dad ended up dying. He was a bit older than her. And um, I'd gone to his funeral, came back to Atlanta and told my mother, I, I wanted her to know that her ex-husband had died. So I go over to her and I also wanted her to comfort me, you know, mm-hmm. and I go over to her and I say, mom, I just need to tell you, dad died. And she looks at me and she doesn't say anything. And then all of a sudden she says, good for him. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, thank God this guy's finally dead. And then I turned to her and I said, mom, he was my father. And you know what she did? She reached out and she pulled me into her. She was sitting in her wheelchair and she just patted my back and I cried. Mm-hmm. And I think about that. You know, I gave her the opportunity to be who she was. And she said her little thing about my dad the first time. But then the second part of it was she reached out as a mother to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so in closing, I want people to hear how important that is for people, no matter what kind of illness they have, particularly dementia, though, because I think we, we automatically assume that when people have cognitive impairment, they can't be who they used to be. And they still can be if we give them a chance. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a connection on a whole different level that, you know, when we're so fast paced, we miss out on. And that's what I love about consciously caring when we slow down and, and truly mm-hmm. think about our impact and, you know, on one another and, and how things how things are are going. Um, it's, it's pretty neat stuff. Um Nancy, no, I've got for contact information for you. I just want to make sure that this is correct. People can um, go to the Mindful Caregiver um, website, mm-hmm. just mindfulcaregiver.com, um, or they can go to your personal website, which is Nancy, and then the last name is K R I S E M A N.com. And I would imagine from the website they can get to your email address as well. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Great. And, well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do consultation on the phone for families and care partners all over the city. Actually, I spoke with somebody in Japan not too long ago. <laughs> so, okay, you know, wonderful. With technology nowadays. Well, that's great. So you can actually do some some coaching. Well, I really appreciate Jam, uh, James Fox, uh, who is a uh, caregiver and elder uh, innovator, um, connecting us because uh, this has been a very interesting conversation. So, um, you know, check out uh, Nancy's website, The Mindful Caregiver, and, you know, go pick up that book. I think it'll be really, really helpful for you. And again, Nancy, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Lori, thank you so much. It, it meant a lot to me. I appreciate it very much. Great. Blessings to you and everybody else. Great. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. Um, for those of you um, who are looking to maybe check out Audible books, um, go to audibletrial.com forward slash forward slash social and um, get your 30-day free trial there. Uh, they have over 180,000 titles to pick from. And uh, we would we would love to be able to um, to help you check 
check out the Audible books that are available. Um, let's see, I'm just going to go over some um, information. <clears throat> I don't know if you caught our last show, which was on Tuesday, um, March 29th. We uh, talked with Penny Garner and Cindy Lazinski. And Penny is, um, she's over in the UK. She's got a wonderful program called Contented Dementia, which is absolutely marvelous. And Cindy is actually the one who introduced me to her. And Cindy is working on dementia-friendly communities in northern Colorado, is doing some pretty spectacular work. Um, But that show I would highly recommend. I think you'll get a lot of good nuggets out of there. Um, on April f- um, 5th, I can't believe we're going to be in April already, um, we'll be doing a show from Texas with the company called Autumn Leaves. They're doing five special events supporting those with dementia through uh, uh, music and film. And so uh, listen for that show coming up. Uh, our Dementia Chats webinar, where our experts actually have dementia, Uh, is recorded. Um, And that last one talks about how people with dementia arrange and organize their schedule. There's some great insights there. And our next Dementia Chats will be April 12th at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, 9 Mountain, 8 Pacific, and 4 p.m. London time. If you're interested in previewing the film His Neighbor Phil and you're going to be in Texas, Um, April 5th, 6th, or 7th in the Houston area. I will be down there doing some screenings with Autumn Leaves in uh, Maryland, uh, Riverstone, uh, Pearland, and Cinco Ranch, um, and Memorial City, and then SciFair as well. I'll also be back down in Texas, in Tyler, Texas, to do a caregiver survival camp on April 28th. You can find information on all of those if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com, just on our homepage there. And um, one last shout-out I'm going to just give to the Caregiver Alert Center, um, which is a company that disseminates information um, to help you find your loved one if they should um, wander off. Have a great week, and we will talk soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.